الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونتوب إليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم وبعد uh, as you brothers who were here yesterday know this is the second of uh, this workshop series about uh, recurrent issues and as I mentioned yesterday the uh, the idea behind this workshop was to discuss those issues that are often discussed in our uh, misajid in our mosques in our societies among the brothers and sisters that, and as a result of these discussions often leads to arguments and that will of course lead to the disunity of the Muslims uh, yesterday we took three issues of the matters of belief that I felt there was a lot of discussion regarding and to which uh, there needs to be uh, more uh, uh, clear picture in the minds of Muslims in North America. Uh, those three issues were uh, first the issue of, um, what did we say first yesterday, I forgot. Uh, first was the issue of uh, whether the Jews and Christians uh, were they believers or not. The uh, concept of the Abrahamic faiths. Somebody said Abrahamic Thank you. Uh, second issue was the issue of al-wala wal-bara. How does one show his allegiance to the believers? Uh, but more importantly, how does one disavow himself from the disbelievers? The different degrees to that. Because as I mentioned yesterday, people are usually of two extremes. Those who uh, don't realize what is permissible to show to the disbelievers. And the other extreme is those who treat the disbelievers as if they are our brethren and give them all uh, full rights. Uh, today, uh, the third issue was, was discussed uh, in brief was regarding the sunnah. Uh, how the sunnah was required to be followed and obeyed and that to deny the sunnah in its totality was disbelief and that to deny a specific hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi uh, could be disbelief or not depending upon the circumstances surrounding the person who has denied that hadith uh, today we have a subject um, uh, which I decided to do was uh, the book which perhaps most of you are familiar with if not all of you uh, Al-Halal Wal-Haram Fil-Islam or The Lawful and the Prohibited in Islam uh, by Dr. Yusuf Al-Qaradawi uh, this book is a very popular book uh, in North America, has been translated uh, for some years now, it's available, and uh, many Muslims use this book as a reference to know what is lawful and what is forbidden uh, for them, uh, what is lawful and what is forbidden for them uh, in the Islamic religion. Uh, why is that? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has legislated for us commands, and He has forbidden for us certain matters. We all know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created us for a great purpose, to worship Him. I have not created neither jinn nor human beings except to worship me. And for this great noble aim, Allah sent the messengers. And with the messengers, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent books, scriptures. Uh, the final book in scripture, of course, being our glorious uh, Quran. And these books and scriptures not only tell us about Allah, not only tell us about the last day, not only tell us about uh, the rewards of paradise and the punishments of the hellfire, but also have in them prescriptions, commands, uh, also in have them prohibitions, which we are to model our lives uh, upon. And so therefore the concept of the lawful, the halal, and the concept of the forbidden, the haram, is something which is essential and integral for every single Muslim to know. Every single Muslim to know. This is something which a Muslim must understand 
what is lawful for him and what is forbidden for him. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in his mercy has not left this matter unclear. As indicated too by the hadith of Al-Nu'man ibn Bashir where in which he reports that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has said إِنَّ الْحَلَالَ بَيُّنْ وَإِنَّ الْحَرَامَ بَيُّنْ That the halal is clear and distinct and the haram or the forbidden is clear and distinct وَبَيْنَهُمَا أُمُورٌ مُشْتَبِهَاتٌ and between this very clear and distinct halal, lawful, and this very clear and distinct haram or forbidden, there are matters which are unclear. لا يعلمهن كثير من الناس Most people are unaware of these unclear matters. In other words, they're unaware of these unclear matters. Are they lawful for them, halal, to do? Or are they forbidden for them, haram, to do? And then the Prophet ﷺ said, فَمَنِ اتَّقَ الشُّبَهَاتِ فَقَدْ اسْتَبْرَأْ لِدِينِهِ وَعِرْضِهِ Whoever avoids these unclear matters, he has protected his religion. In other words, he has protected himself from falling into a sin. And likewise, he has protected his honor. In other words, it cannot be said of him as to be a impious Muslim, a sinner. And these terms cannot be applied to him. So therefore, he's protected his honor from being maligned. And then the Prophet ﷺ said, وَمَنْ وَقَعَ فِي الشُّبَهَاتِ فَقَدْ وَقَعَ فِي الْحَرَامِ That he who falls in these unclear matters has fallen into the forbidden. Why? The Prophet ﷺ gave us an example. كَالْرَاعِ يَرَعْ حَوْلَ الْحِمَى يُوشِكُ أَنْ يَرْتَعَ فِيهِ The Prophet ﷺ said, like the shepherd who takes his flock next to that pasture which is a preserved land. Uh, you know, it's like if you, for those brothers maybe from the West who um, are familiar with farms and so forth, there are certain lands where you cannot take your animals to eat from, okay? This is preserved land. So if the shepherd takes his flock of sheep to that, close to that land, some of his sheep might go over that land and eat from that grass, which is not for him, for the, for him to uh, f uh, pasture his animals with. Because usually these lands don't have like a, uh, a fence or something like that to show. So therefore if you draw it close to that, some of the sheep might go over and eat fr from that uh, preserved pasture. And then the Prophet ﷺ said uh, that verily uh, in the body is an organ. If that organ is sound, the body is sound. And if that organ is corrupt, the body is corrupt. And that is the heart, the Prophet ﷺ said. Meaning that the heart of the human being, if his intention and if his direction and if his motivation is to obey Allah and his messenger then therefore the body the limbs the eyes the ears the tongue the hands the feet will not then enter into that which is disobedience but when the heart is corrupt when the heart has some sort of sickness then what happens is is that the limbs of the human being falls into corruption so if his heart has a sickness to something which is forbidden, uh, like uh, his heart has a sickness to listening to uh, music, to these things which uh, uh, um, motivate or which excite his passions, then therefore that sickness in the heart will lead his body to fall into corruption by listening to those songs that will excite his passions or her passions, and so forth and so on. So therefore the heart, as Abu Huraira says, taking the, this meaning from this hadith, the heart is the king. 
and the limbs are its soldiers, its men. So if the king is a righteous king, he will order his men to do righteous deeds. But if the king is a corrupt king, he will order those underneath his authority, his men, to do evil deeds. So therefore, the issue of al-halal wal-haram is an essential issue that every single Muslim must know about. And as we've seen, the first principle we should understand that the halal is clear in itself. And likewise, the haram is clear in itself. But there are some matters which are unclear. Uh, due to either ignorance or other than that. And so therefore, the halal is that which Allah and His Messenger have declared to be halal. And the haram is therefore that which Allah and His Messenger have declared to be haram. Halal and haram does not go after somebody's madhab. Halal and haram does not follow somebody's opinion or somebody's intuition or somebody's desire or his inclination. No. The halal is that which Allah has declared halal. And what his messenger, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa has declared for us halal. And the haram likewise is that which Allah has declared haram. Or his messenger, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa has declared for us to be haram. Um, moreover, we should understand that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, declares something to be ha- ha- halal, or excuse me, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala declares something to be haram, whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala orders or commands, it is for a great wisdom. Allah is al-hakim, the most wise, and his wisdom is manifested in his creation and in his commands and prohibition. Therefore, whenever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates something, He creates it for a wisdom. Even if we may not be able to perceive that wisdom. Some people might not know what is the wisdom of having fingernails. But there is a wisdom in that. It's not just as the disbelievers imagine that it's something left over from a species uh, in our uh, uh, genetic uh, code, uh, in our evolution, as they surmise. No. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created Adam as a full human being, the concept of evolution is a false uh, concept scientifically and religiously. And moreover, whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates is for a wisdom, whether we recognize that or not. So if a person doesn't see that there's a wisdom in his fingernails, it does not mean that there's no wisdom there. And likewise with his eyelashes, and likewise with any part of himself, and likewise with the creation around him, the planets above the sky above us, the uh, universe in its vastness, the things that are on earth from animals and plants, from birds and fish and so forth. Every single thing in Allah's creation has a wisdom. And every single thing has a purpose. And likewise, every single command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has a wisdom behind it. There is a great wisdom why we pray Salat al-Dhuhr four rak'as and not five or three. What is that wisdom? We might not know. But there's a wisdom behind it because Allah commanded it. Allah does not command something just for the sake of commanding it and then there's no wisdom behind it. But we are responsible to submit to Allah whether we recognize that wisdom which is inherently in that matter or not. Sometimes we know the wisdom of some things. Like we know the wisdom as to why we are here on earth. That wisdom is to worship Allah. And likewise we know Uh, the wisdom, for instance, of some acts of worship. Like the wisdom of fighting and warfare between human beings. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us that had Allah not checked human beings against each other, in other words, had there not been fighting, corruption would spread the earth. Because the evil people would then 
you know, use their might and their force to spread corruption throughout the earth. So Allah checks one human beings against the other human beings in order to contain the corruption. This is a wisdom behind warfare and fighting. We understand that from the Quran. There might be other wisdoms which we are unaware of concerning this. So the point is, is that we should know that in anything that Allah commands, just like in anything that Allah creates, there is a wisdom behind that. Whether we recognize that or not, it is upon us then to submit to the message. As some of the earliest Muslims said, um, uh, like, um, anyway, as some of the earliest uh, Salaf have said, uh, that from Allah is the message, and upon the messenger is the transmission or the preaching of the message, and upon us is to submit. From Allah is the message, upon the Prophet is to preach it, and upon us is to submit. Okay. Now, so therefore, Unfortunately, even though Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent to the people clear scriptures, and even though Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made the halal and the haram very clear, the religious communities began to disobey their Lord. And they took their priests and their rabbis as lords besides Allah, allowing their priests and their rabbis to make lawful for them what Allah has forbidden and allowing their priests and rabbis to forbid for them what Allah has made lawful. And you find in this something uh, as an example, the issue of uh, multiple marriage, polygyny, or plural marriage, or multiple marriage. This is something which it is mentioned in the previous scriptures uh, that um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as prophets had more than one wife. In fact, some of them like Sulaiman or Solomon in English, it is said that he had over a thousand or one thousand between wives and concubines. So this is something which is found in their scriptures. And yet, the Christians today uh, consider this to be a sin and consider this to be a monstrosity and consider this to be such a great crime that according to the legal code of the United States of America, uh, plural marriage comes right after treason as the most severe uh, act which is forbidden. Why? Because this is from their following of their priests and their rabbis and their monks. Those brothers who have more than one wife are somewhat concerned now. <laughs> so, the, but, you know, this is your choice. So, uh, those, uh, so therefore, because out of their following of their priests and their rabbis and their monks, they made for themselves forbidden that which Allah has made lawful to them. And to such a degree, that even though these societies are now no longer, I mean, following their religion, their secular countries, and they, but still the remnants, still what is left from the Middle Ages, from these religious beliefs can still be found in their legal systems. And so therefore you find when people come from overseas, uh, they usually ask them uh, at the uh, point of entry, how many wives do you have? And, and depending upon that, they might give them entry or not uh, to the United States. Uh, so the point is, is that this is an example of that. Now, when people obey their pr priests and their rabbis in what Allah has forbidden, uh, in making lawful what Allah has forbidden, or the opposite, making forbidden what Allah has made lawful, knowing that the priest and the rabbi is changing Allah's law, and doing so in order uh, to uh, follow one's desires to the degree where they are unconcerned with Allah's law, this becomes disbelief and one is outside of the fold of Islam. And Allah has declared this to be shirk and the Prophet ﷺ has equated this with shirk. And that is why when he recited that verse from Surah At-Tawbah, 
that they have taken their priests and their rabbis as lords besides Allah. A companion of the Prophet who had just become Muslim and was previously a Christian, his name is by the name of Adi bin Hatim, he said, we did not used to worship them. So then the Prophet said to him, did they not used to make for you lawful what Allah has forbidden? And forbid for you what Allah has made lawful? And Adi said, yes. And the Prophet said, that is their worship. Adi ibn Hatim thought worship meant only to bow and pray. And that is a type of worship, without doubt. But also to obey people in what uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in, 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 to obey people in their laws is also a type of worship. And so therefore when these Jews and Christians uh, obeyed their priests and rabbis in forbidding what Allah has made lawful, or making lawful what Allah has made forbidden, uh, they... Uh, fell into their worship as Allah has mentioned in Surah At-Tawbah the ninth Surah of the Quran and as the Prophet Sallallahu expounded upon in his authentic traditions now uh, with that introduction uh, we should understand that uh, the book uh, which we decided to uh, discuss or use as a, a reference point for this issue uh, Al-Halaw Al-Haram is a useful book in general uh, the author, uh, Dr. Yusuf Al-Qaradawi, is, is a known uh, scholar amongst the Muslims. And uh, the principle is that when a scholar falls into an error, we try to find some sort of excuse uh, for him. In other words, if we find in our discussion that Sheikh Yusuf Al-Qaradawi uh, made some mistakes, in, uh, uh, according to what the evidence of the Sharia, it seems to be that there are mistakes in his opinion, uh, this should not be a, uh, uh, an excuse for us to malign him or to uh, speak evil about him. But no, but rather we say that he has erred in that, and we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that in his ijtihad, uh, that he receives a reward, even if he's erred. As the Prophet said that when the uh, scholar or the judge uh, makes an ijtihad, uh, if he's correct, he receives uh, two rewards, and if he's errant, he receives only one reward. Uh, now, uh, the, the book has uh, suffers from two sets of problems. Uh, one set of problem is there are some weak hadith in it, weak uh, narrations attributed to the Prophet And I'm not going to be discussing this because uh, Brother Jamal Zarabozo has uh, discussed this in detail uh, a few years ago in one of his issues of Al-Bashir magazine. Uh, he published a... Uh, a two-part article series, if I remember correctly, uh, showing which hadith mentioned in the book are, are weak. Uh, what I'd like to do is to discuss some of the points in the book, uh, which are matters of fiqh, uh, where the author has taken a position where it seems that the position is somewhat weak. And uh, since the people refer to this book, it's important to understand where are the weaknesses in this position, uh, so that we may... Uh, in uh, doing da'wah or when these discussions come we may guide uh, our brothers and sisters to that uh, which is um, uh, correct. Now in no way I'm going to be able to uh, discuss all these issues in the book. I've only chosen uh, a few and likewise uh, the discussion is going to have to be somewhat um, uh, uh, quick in pace uh, because uh, if any issue in itself uh, to discuss it in full would take the whole uh, hour and a half uh, allowed for this lecture. So. Uh, with that in mind, I, I ask the brothers uh, uh, and sisters their uh, uh, forgiveness or their um, you know, tolerance that the, the pace of the lecture will be somewhat quick. And then we can have a chance for questions and answers, whether regarding these issues that I bring up or any other issues uh, that the brothers and sisters would like to talk about. Okay, uh, one of the issues he mentions uh, on page 61 of the book, 
uh, is that uh, concerning the slaughtering of uh, meats and so forth, animals. And as we all know, this is an issue which is always uh, raised in every single uh, gathering, in every single uh, masjid, uh, is the meat, uh, is the food that we find out there lawful for us to eat. Uh, I don't want to address the issue uh, in its totality, but I just want to address one, one of the con con concepts he has spoken about. And that is under a title uh, on page 61, Animals Slaughtered by Electric Shock and Other Methods. Uh, Dr. Qaradawi writes, uh, the second question is this, is it necessary that the method of slaughter of an animal uh, employed by the people of the book so that it is halal in their religion be the same as ours, uh, which is to cut the throat. A uh, majority of the jurists stipulate that as a condition, while a number of Maliki ju jurists have re ruled that it is not a condition. And uh, then he quotes uh, Qadi ibn al-Arabi, uh, a Maliki scholar uh, who has a book on tafsir, uh, and uh, he gives an example saying that Qadi ibn al-Arabi says um, that uh, as long as basically uh, the Christians uh, eat the food, uh, then it's okay for us to eat. And so then Al-Qaradawi says, uh, this is the opinion of Ibn al-Arabi. On another occasion he says, what they eat without intending, to with in without intending to make it lawful for eating, as for example by strangling the animal or smashing its head, is haram. And then he says, Qaradawi, there is no contradiction between this, these two statements of his. What is meant here is that what they consider as religiously lawful to eat is halal for us, even though the method of killing the animal and their religion may be different from ours. And what is not religiously lawful for them is haram for us. What is meant by killing the animal uh, in their religion is killing it with the intention of making it lawful uh, as food according to their religion. And then he says, in light of this ruling, we know that imported meats such as chicken and canned beef originating from the people of book are halal for us even though the animal may have been killed by means of electric shock or the like. So this opinion uh, is a wrong opinion. And why is it a wrong opinion? Because the overwhelming majority of the scholars. In fact, there's probably no scholar who is known to have taken this opinion, uh, except for Ibn al-Arabi himself, that whatever the Christians and Jews deem for themselves lawful to eat, it's lawful for us to eat. Uh, this is completely uh, uh, a very, uh, I mean, unheard of opinion in, in the Islamic law. But rather, the difference of opinion is whether the Christians and Jews must mention Allah's name on their slaughter. But it has to be slaughter in and of itself. And that is the issue here. Uh, when a Christian or a Jew uh, does not slaughter the meat and kills the animal by any means, whether it's by electric shock, whether it's by applying a, a blow to its head, a uh, concussion uh, to its head, or by any means that they use to kill it, strangling it, just ripping off the neck of the bird or whatever, uh, it does not uh, become lawful for us to eat. Uh, it only becomes lawful for us to eat when they slaughter the animal itself. And that means that they have to slaughter it by letting the blood pour out of it by cutting the neck, or the throat, excuse me, and uh, the two uh, veins uh, that lead uh, to the head. Uh, now, when, uh, the other issue is that do they have to mention Allah's name upon the slaughter in order for it to become lawful for us? In this, there's a difference of opinion between the scholars, and it's not the issue of our investigation here. Uh, because, as I said, we were trying to discuss the issues mentioned in the book itself. But the issue is that the, the state of the opinion uh, mentioned by Dr. Al-Khalidawi uh, that any sort of uh, meat, uh, as long as they declare it to be lawful, I mean, even if they were to just take a chicken and just rip off its neck like that, as long as they consider it okay to eat, it becomes lawful.